This is the Plan Simple Podcast. The one for you, my dear, the woman who wears so many hats. We both know how many people in your life benefit when you're at your best. What would happen if you were to ditch overwhelm and wear all those hats with ease? I'm going to share how simple this can be. We will dive into how to make health, family, home, spirituality, productivity, and entrepreneurship more easeful. Incredible friends and guests will come by for inspirational conversations, valuable shares, and real strategies so you can plan for your best life. My name is Mia Moran. I'm a mother of three, a wife, an entrepreneur, a coach, and your host. I wear a lot of hats, and I am committed to leading a balanced life and sharing all that I have learned and am learning with you. You're ready? Let's flow. Hey, welcome to this episode of the Plan Simple Podcast. I'm so excited today. It is the first day of February. Can you believe that? And I just love this time of year. I love every time of year, but I feel like I'm in a big change right now. And I, I'm very, I've become very comfortable with change over the years. And I years ago figured out that like January 1st was not my time <laughs> to step into New Year's goals, like new things, all that. Like it just, especially after I had kids, it just did not resonate as the time where I could step in. I always felt really tired, I think, when my kids were little after the December holidays and having everybody home. And then over time, I mean, now I have teenagers and young adults, so it's not like they're exhausting me during the holidays. And my my body naturally is tired in January. Like I sleep more and I'm more creative and I'm quieter. And it's a time that I love to journal and just not like just be quiet. I think that's the best way to explain it. And it doesn't come with a lot of like desire to make changes and do all these things. Like it's not a doing energy at all. And so that whole idea of new new year, new you, like none of that really ever resonates with me on January 1st. So as I started becoming more aware of other things around me. So today I think is actually in bulk, which is the midpoint between the winter solstice and the spring solstice. And and also I think in the US, maybe Groundhog Day is tomorrow. So it's like we're trying to predict if spring is coming. I don't know. There feels like there's this quality of like change in the air around now. It's also the lunar new year is coming up next week. And I just don't feel it the same way on January 1st as I start to in the beginning of February. And so I really love this time of year for getting into all the yearly intentions. So if you feel like you started this process of like making plans, making goals, making resolutions, all the things with us, with other people, and then you feel like you fizzled, maybe it's just you're responding to the seasons. And so notice if right now you're like, oh, there's some new things like welling up inside of me I that I want to look at right now and see if looking at the next 90 days right now feels really exciting to you and go for it. 
That would be my my two cents. We just um, did our 90-day planning retreat in Flow 365, which we do a couple times a year. And I always do it at the end of January. Like we do very intentionally, quote unquote, start our year in February. And sometimes people start their goals a little bit earlier and a few people are taking the week and really not going to start until the Lunar New Year. We, we all have our own cycles, um, but I do find that a lot of us are pushed into the cycle of January 1st. So if you feel that at all, this is your invitation to like step back and re-step in and just don't feel bad about it. When we start to feel bad about things, we we don't usually move forward. We don't usually take action. So today on the podcast, I'm going to get to my point now, we're going to talk about relationships. Actually, for the next couple of episodes, because we're coming into Valentine's Day, we're going to talk about relationships with our spouse with our kids, with ourselves. I'm going to go behind the scenes of my relationship. Did you know that I met my husband when we were seniors in high school? That is a true fact about me. So I'm going to tell you a little bit about that, I think, next week. So today I have the amazing Stacy Kernow coming on the show. And we're going to talk about why relationships can feel really hard and why we think that they should be easy, right? And how that really primes us from an early age to have to have trouble. And Stacy's just this amazing person. She's a licensed clinical mental health counselor. Um, she's the owner of a family counseling, Asheville Family Counseling in Asheville, North Carolina. And she really specializes in helping people heal attachment trauma and enjoy more connection and happiness in their most important relationships. And she is coming on the show after having just released her book, which is so amazing, called Repair Your Relationships. We'll talk a little bit about it on the show. And so just everything she shares in this show is so rich and so practical that I really think you'll find things that you can take and can really upgrade your relationship situation. And things don't have to be awful, by the way, to want to upgrade your relationship. This is what I'm going to talk about a bit next week because I've been with my husband for a long time. I mean, since we were 17. And when I look at my 17, uh, now she's now 18 year old and 20 year old, I'm just like, wow, <laughs> I can't believe that a lot of the things that we put into practice came from that time. And of course, we've grown and evolved over time. But it's funny, like some things carry forward. So I'm going to unpack all that next week. Stay tuned. Um, it feels a little vulnerable, but super fun. And then we have a few other guests coming on to talk relationship, and we're going to talk about our relationships with ourselves, and it's just going to be a fun little theme we're going to have. We are going to start put it, trying the podcast. So January, I gave myself this break because I just told you January is quiet for me, but starting in February, we are going to try again two episodes a week. Um, see how that goes. I'm going to try. I always try everything for 90 days. So I'm going to really push myself for 90 days. Um, it's a big 90 days because one of the other things that I really want to do is I don't only want to have this podcast, but I want to be able to talk about it with you. So we're going to make sure that we 
post more on Instagram and can have some real conversations. And we're going to invite you into some deeper conversations as well. So check out for that. Um, that is in a, a, pri- a more private area, because I know that some of the things we talk about around here, we all really want to talk about, but not necessarily on Instagram, where our, you know, mothers and kids can read all about it at the same time. So all of that is coming up and I'm really excited about it. And as I just told you, I too am stepping into my goals. So this is all feeling new and fresh and excited. And I'm feeling that real spring energy right now. So I think that's what I got to tell you before we get the amazing Stacy on the show. All right. Oh, I have one more thing. One more announcement. Apple just did this weird thing. And I think what it has something to do with is that they don't automatically download the podcast to your phone anymore, which is great, except that the way that Apple downloads podcasts does affect who sees this podcast. So do me a favor. If you have time and you listen via Apple Podcasts, go and just make sure you're subscribed. All right, make sure you're subscribed, make sure the episodes are downloading, make sure you get the next, the latest episodes, especially as I'm about to get super vulnerable and go behind the scenes over the next few weeks and add this second episode every week. Hopefully you'll, you'll want to be subscribed. And if you haven't done it yet and you want some I don't brownie points. Oh my God, that sounds weird. But you want to really help the podcast, go leave a rating and a review because that really also helps us. So all the interaction on Apple Podcasts really helps us be seen by other people who are needing um, what it is that we're serving up around here. All right. That was my, my PSA for today. So with no further ado, let's get the amazing Stacey Curnow on the show. Hi, Stacey. Welcome to the Plan Simple podcast. I'm so excited to have you here today. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh my gosh. So we're going to dive into this really juicy topic and everyone's going to hear this a little bit maybe after we talk, but it's so exciting because you have this book coming out, which is what we're going to talk about. I'm so excited that this work is coming out into the world. So will you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in helping people with their relationships? Give us a little bit of the backstory. Gosh, I come from a 20 years background as a certified nurse midwife. That was my first career. I feel like that's when I first met you was when you were a nurse midwife. Yes, Yes, exactly. (laughs) Because we've known each other for almost 10 years. Yeah. And so then I call midwifery like a young woman's game or a young person's game. You know, as I got into my 40s, I realized I did not have the capacity to stay up all night, uh, three nights in a row. And so I started thinking about the part of my work that I really loved, independent of being in the hospital at three o'clock in the morning. And that was really working with women and families in navigating this momentous transition in their lives, right? As they were bringing a new baby into the world. And I realized that that really correlated with counseling and particularly couples and family counseling. And so then in my late 40s, I went back to graduate school as a counselor and then came out as a licensed clinical mental health counselor. And then right out of my program, I started my private practice called Asheville Family Counseling. And so my work really does focus primarily on couples and families. And from that work, 
I was really inspired to write this book. But again, this book was truly inspired by my work with couples and families. Amazing. So tell us some of the things, like some of the most, just for anyone, I feel like a lot of times with relationship stuff, it's like, I should know this, right? Like I married someone I love. We have these beautiful children. Like I should know how to navigate this. Like, why is this feeling so hard? So will you just tell us some of the like things that are totally normal that come up just because we haven't learned some of the skills or understand some of the reasoning that we're going to get into in a second, but just like, what are some of the things that we can seek to make better? I know that people end up in your room because things have gotten really bad, but I feel like sometimes it's like, oh, I'm not supposed to be arguing about this thing at this hour. Like, I think sometimes we've almost like normalized some of it. Do you know what I mean? I mean, getting back to your first point of people thinking that they should know how to do this. Yeah. I really highlight the fact that how would they know how to do this? Because one of the main chapters in my book is about childhood attachment trauma. So that idea that we never learned this in our earliest relationships, how to be in relationship, how to communicate our needs in a way that was likely to get them met. And again, everyone struggles in this regard. I really think that that's the big myth that relationships should be easy or because I love my partner, it should be easier. That is certainly a myth that I'm trying to debunk in this book. So will you tell us more about that? Will you tell us more about attachment in our early years and how that relates to our relationships? Yes. So the framework for understanding that I present in this book is related to attachment theory. So this is now 60, 70 years old science that is excellent. That is, again, and it's a theory. So the framework for my understanding, other people could buck against it. But I think that the evidence is there that supports when our earliest attachment needs are not met. And so attachment needs are around feeling safe, secure, soothed, heard, understood, valued, prioritized. When those needs are not met from the earliest age, we come up with theories for ourselves, even as very young children, why those needs aren't getting met. And so you see this happening at age two and three, right? You look at a baby and a toddler and they will you know, shout their needs from the rooftop, right? Like no toddler has a hard time, you know, saying you need to prioritize my needs. But about three, four years old, you see that children are, again, creating theories about why their parents, their earliest caregivers are not meeting their needs. And then it boils down to these stories that we start telling ourselves about how we're not worthy, or there's something wrong with us that we wouldn't be meeting our needs. Because again, kids aren't that sophisticated. They wouldn't be able to think, oh, you know, my parents are just really busy. You know, they're being torn in, you know, many different directions between work and their own needs and, you know, society not really supporting them and getting their needs met or their family's needs met. So again, kids just develop these theories that they're not worthy. And then they go into relationships in their adult lives, looking to get these relational and relational needs met, but they've never had that modeled for them in mm-hmm. a way that's again, likely to get them met. Because again, what they learned is, 
you know, crying sometimes helps, complaining sometimes helps, threats and demands sometimes help, but nothing consistently, nothing reliably, and nothing mutually satisfactorily, right? Mm. Because again, people will cry and complain and issue threats and demands. And sometimes, you know, as adults get those needs met, but not reliably, not sustainably, right? Because again, then the person who's in that relationship with them, that doesn't feel good to them, right? To have to meet them from that place. And then they're also struggling to get their needs met. So that's where we end up again at this disconnect. Okay. So I love this as an example of like, I mean, I feel like I say all the time and it's interesting. I feel like also my understanding of this has shifted (laughs) dramatically over the, since I started saying it maybe 20 years ago, which is like, I know how important it is that we all get our oxygen masks on first as women. And I feel like this is such a good example of like what that really means. Like, it's like, go heal the trauma (laughs) so that like you really can show up as in a relationship, as a mother in all the things. So what does that look like? Like, will you just give us a few examples? Like of, I mean, obviously, everyone can go see a therapist, but like, what does the practice of healing this look like as a mm-hmm. sort of a self-care ritual, I guess? It really is first to start with this idea that we all have this nervous system that acts independently of our will or volition. And so mm. our nervous system is what ties us to lizards and chimpanzees. Like we all have this same nervous system that really is only tracking two things and that's safe or unsafe. And our nervous system is always tracking that, is always scanning. I call it this part that's hypervigilant, you know, almost happening like this periscope or, you know, these binoculars out looking out at the distance. Am I safe is what that nervous system is always asking. And again, this isn't safe in terms of, you know, maybe where we yeah. were 100,000 years ago with, you know, saber-toothed tigers and poisonous snakes at every turn, but it is a relational safety. It is an emotional safety. And when we start to tune into that and notice that our nervous system is going to react in one of four ways when it feels unsafe, and that's true, again, for lizards and for human beings, and that is it fight, flight, freeze, or collapse. Yeah, the collapse is kind of that rolling over, playing dead, right? I think about my dog at the dog park. If an aggressive dog comes up to her, she will immediately roll onto her back. And that's called collapse or appease. And so for a lot of people, especially women, it looks like that people pleasing, that appeasement, that's like, you know, I didn't mean to upset you. I'm sorry. But meanwhile, right, not getting their needs met. So if we can start to notice when our nervous system is starting to, you know, I call it get activated or feel unsafe and then slow things down. And in the moment, that really is looking like putting your oxygen mask on first, whatever that is, right, for you. So I do encourage people to really think about what is going to help support my nervous system in those times of distress. Is it going for a walk? Is it calling a friend? Is it taking a bath? Is it taking three deep breaths? Because if, right, the nervous system gets dysregulated, activated, I don't call it game over. That is nothing good is going to happen, you know, after that point, if we continue to be in a conflict from that space, we have to nurture ourselves first. And so again, my first encouragement, and it's the first chapter of the book is called calm. Like how do we create 
that calm in our nervous system, even when, right, we're looking outside and seeing things that registering as a threat. So calm is literally speaking my language, especially around the nervous system, because that's one of the things that I have personally found has shifted, I guess, my marriage relationship too, but definitely my relationship with my kids. I have three teenagers (laughs) and I love being a mom of teenagers. And part of my secret is just that it's like literally I am really focused on how I can be calm in any given moment. And I can tell you that there are definitely moments that I'm not. And those are the moments that I live to, I don't know, need to undo things from, you know, like, and it's, yeah, calm is a great one. I love that. So good. I'm glad that's where your book starts. (laughs) And this goes back again to just basic neuroscience that we really understand that our nervous systems are always talking to each other. So when you say, like, if I can be calm, you notice the calming effect that it has on your child. And again, it's science. And so uh, conversely, right, when your nervous system is activated, it's very likely, right, that it's going to contribute to more nervous system activation in your teen and your spouse. And so again, it is just so valuable. And it's again, why I start the book with that chapter. I want people to understand, again, what makes it so hard. And I think that's early relationship trauma and the good that can happen when we just focus on bringing calm to our own nervous system and how that benefits all of our relationships, just as you've seen. Yeah. Oh my God. And I will just share with you. I mean, I think people on the podcast that they've been listening for a long time, but know this, but you know, one of my kids had a really sort of major mental health crisis during the pandemic. And this is what I did. I literally like focused. Well, I actually healed a lot of my attachment trauma during that time to be like, (laughs) that's actually what was happening. And I focused on calm. And I used to call it like, I decided like not to bring in a lot of professionals, which I, you know, I'm not saying everyone should do that, but I was very well surrounded by professionals. So I knew it was okay. And we were in the middle of a pandemic. And I used to call it like I was letting her borrow my nervous system. So I was like really conscious about how calm I could be. And then I would get as close to her as I could. And I would literally let her borrow my calm in moments where she was really struggling. That's huge. And again, that's so important that you did that. And again, let's highlight that you were healing your own attachment trauma at that time, because what I suspect is you had to learn that yourself because Again, I don't think our parents, and again, this is no disrespect to our parents. Again, no one did this for them is what I say. So there's no blame. There's no shame. But how rare it would have been for like your mom to just sit next to you, put her arm around your shoulder if she could, and just say, I'm here for you. You're safe. Right? I'm not going anywhere. And how calming that is and how healing that is for your child and that you learned to do that for yourself first so that you could show up for these important people in your life in that way. Yes. And I love that you point out that it's like, you know, obviously like it's no one's fault because I feel like that comes up a lot and that's not very calming to the nervous system, you know, when you're in that blame cycle of what's happening. And I mean, I actually think that this is one of the most important parts right now of human evolution because we are shifting and changing and becoming really aware of all this nervous system stuff. And that wasn't the story in our parents' generation. It was, you know, depending on where, like how you grew up, there was like a lot of latchkey stuff. And there was a lot of like, you know, tough, like 
build the toughness, right? Like you're going to only learn through the bad things and like, you know, and crying is bad. And, you know, so many things, so many stories we all inherited that sort of took us away from that attachment paradigm. <laughs> it, it really did. And again, I do try to normalize that and not, again, demonize the fact that our parents didn't know. So there's a whole section in the courage chapter around intergenerational trauma about yeah. how we just kept passing down these burdens of you need to figure it out on your own. You're on your own. And independence is key rather than connection being key. Yeah. And I love to think of it in the way of like, you know, as we do our own healing and work where I think I first heard this from a shamanic practitioner who we have as a teacher in our program. And it's really like seven generations in each direction. So as we're doing our healing, you know, we're not only helping our kids and then their kids and then their kids, but we, it also goes the other way a bit. So I just think that's really cool. It is so cool. And that is so cool. Again, that you can see it in so many traditions, whether it's in neuroscience. And again, we're looking back truly seven generations to see like, again, who didn't have trauma, you know, like seven generations, you know, there's the civil war, there's the migration from Europe and the harm that that did. I mean, so again, yeah. whether we're looking from a shamanic tradition, a neuroscience perspective, it really bears up like it, yeah. it's proven. Yeah. yeah all these <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I, love I do it. love okay. it too. So I feel like we went into kids because I think it's all related to relationships. But if we go back to our relationship with our spouse or partner, what are some of the things, so we're healing this early attachment trauma, and I'm assuming, because we talked about this a little before we press record, that you don't have to like have that fully healed before you're also tending to your relationship, Drew? Yes, exactly. That's why when I first started out as a counselor, I did individual work. Because again, you can't just heal it on your own, for sure. I mean, there's something called what we talk about is self energy that could show up as that kind, loving parent to the parts that are anxious, the parts that are feeling unheard or uncared for. You could access self energy to care for those parts. And that's a large part of what the counseling client relationship tries to do is the counselor tries to be that stable attachment figure again to model for the client what that could look like in an internal process. And what I realized is nothing fast tracks this process more than working in relationships with other people who are aware of their own attachment trauma, how their own attachment wounds are getting activated in relationships. But when they bring that awareness to it, it like depersonalizes it, right? Now you're no longer feeling that your partner is just trying to persecute you, but rather, right, there's poking up against that wound. And when you can articulate that as like a part of me is feeling unheard, would you be willing, right, to slow this down and just reflect back how I'm feeling rather than going into defense mode? Because again, it's quite natural for a person in a relationship when they feel unheard, right? This is a classic example that they would say to their partner, you are not listening to me. But then the partner in that is feeling judged, right? As someone who's not listening. And then you're going to get a defense back, which is very often, I am listening. And so <laughs> then we just go into this negative interaction cycle where it just becomes, right, more attack and defense. But if we can have the partner say, 
hey, I'm struggling or part of me is struggling to feel heard, very often it activates like curiosity in the partner. Like, oh, you're not feeling heard. What am I not hearing? Or how can I help you feel heard? It becomes a very different trajectory. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's what we're trying to create because when these partners can again work together to identify the attachment wound and then address and heal the attachment wound with the relationship, nothing better, nothing fast tracks it more. And so that's why I really get excited because it is so beautiful and we can do that work together. Oh my gosh, I love that. And just to clarify, does that mean two people are going to like counseling or reading the book or doing whatever to get like, mm -hmm. I guess, how much buy-in this need to have to be relational? Like, can one person be doing more of the past work than the other? I just find that. One of my sayings is there are many paths to healing. So again, you could have one person who was doing more of the work and it benefit everyone. Yeah. Yep. But again, faster, better, you know, like stronger when we do it together, when both people, or again, I work with families, when all members of the family system are aware of these, you know, again, relational trigger, these triggers that create the nervous system overwhelm and the feeling of unsafety, and then slow it down right at that point. And so again, in that example, I was giving you that it was the person who was feeling unheard that would first speak for, let's say, her need. But I do encourage equally that even if, let's say, the spouse, the, let's say, the man in this family and this partnership is hearing his spouse say, you're not listening, that he could also hear the underlying, like vulnerable attachment emotion underneath that. And so rather getting triggered by, you know, feeling judged and criticized as not listening, they could also kind of reach deeper and say, oh my gosh, I think that she's not feeling heard. And so just to, again, lay down, you know, sort of help them, you know, kind of calm that part that's getting activated around feeling judged, but access that part that's like, oh my gosh, I don't think you're feeling heard. Let's slow this down. I want you to feel heard. What do you want me to hear? Like, what do you need in relation to that, right, that need? And so again, both <laughs> better, stronger, faster. Yeah. That's oh my what gosh, we're I trying love that. Yeah. 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 So good. And I love that you keep saying it, slow it down, because <laughs> mm -hmm. I feel like that and calm, you know, the world goes so fast. It's hard to do this. I feel like that's what we stand for around here is that element of time that's slowing down. And I'm always saying like, we plan for everything around here because we want to plan for this. We want to plan for the white space. We want to plan for the slowing down. Like we have time to see these things. So I'd love that. I just want to point out that I love that piece of like, we can solve so many things when we slow down because you can actually see yeah. them. It's so critical because again, the nervous system is reacting in a hair trigger response and it needed to, right? It needed evolutionarily, it developed to respond quickly without thought, actually. You know, the I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but I was once walking in a forest on a trail and I thought, you know, out of the corner of my eye, there was a snake in the path. And I immediately jumped back before, right? I even realized that, it, you know, I'm just reacting. That's the yeah. nervous system. It reacts before thought. And we see that brain activity in the brain stem and the limbic system before we see it even in the prefrontal cortex where thought is created. Yeah. And then we make meaning of our 
reaction. And so in that moment, when I'm jumping back, I'm like, oh, I must have, you know, there was a snake. But then a moment later, I'm able to look and really focus. And it's just a stick in the path. And that's what happens so often is that our brainstem, our limbic system perceives a threat, and then it's just reacting. And then we're just in fight mode or flee mode or collapse mode. And so again, it takes a lot of effort, that training, right? That practice to slow it down so that we can choose another meaning of that reaction. Like, yeah, I am feeling activated because I am feeling unheard rather than just going into fight mode and saying, you're not listening. You never listen. Like I never, right? You always. If there's one person involved, you know, so there's one person listening right now, maybe (laughs) who's like consistently in relationship, like not the best moments right now using that stick an example actually so it's like so let's say let me think of an example that's even come up lately let's say it's actually about the kids right so something's going on and a couple is not agreeing on an outcome they want for their kid whether it's like it could be bedtime or an activity that they're doing or how they're behaving right but they're not agreeing on some piece of how to tend to this so Can we use that? Like, so if there's one person who's experiencing this right now, you know, and can't move past it, can we use this stick analogy to like, what's happening within them? Like, what are they jumping to conclusions about? And how could they themselves just slow down a situation and try to turn it around, even if, you know, both couples aren't going to therapy, reading your book, whatever. Yeah, well, there's a great tool that's called RAIN. So Tara Brock, a meditation teacher, has an excellent podcast, popularized this idea of RAIN. So it's an acronym that stands for recognize, allow, investigate, and nurture. And so the first R, right, recognize, recognize that I'm feeling unheard, recognize that I'm feeling dismissed, recognize that I'm feeling unsupported, right? That's a classic combination, a classic scenario in among parents who are not agreeing about what should happen, right? What the outcome should be with their kid or how they're going to achieve that outcome even more specifically. And so then the A is allow, right? Just to really, okay, this belongs, right? I'm not feeling heard because you know, when I propose my solution, you know, to this problem, I'm immediately feeling dismissed. I'm hearing the no. Yeah. But then the eye of investigate is again, we are meaning making creatures. And so what is the meaning that I want to attribute to this situation? Is it that, you know, we don't agree, we're never going to agree. It's so hard to parent with this person. They're always, you know, obstructing, you know, the solution that I'm proposing. Or is it, Again, this is when we're slowing down. This is when we're pausing, where we're really reflecting. Is that the meaning that I want to give to this exchange that he is always obstructing, that we can never agree? Or is it that we do have very different perspectives? We have very different views on the situation. And I want him to feel heard and understood in his experience and his perspective as much as I want to feel heard. And then this goes to the next chapter in my book, which is called collaboration. And collaboration doesn't actually require that we agree about anything. It doesn't mean that we agree about, you know, what the reality of the situation is. It just requires that we understand what what each other's, what I call priority concerns are. And usually priority concerns 
fall into just a few categories, and that is safety, fairness, learning, health. Yeah. And so when we can kind of agree like, okay, my priority concern is about my kid's safety or my priorities concern is about, you know, their learning that those are kind of classic ones Mm -hmm. for parents, then we can absolutely meet those concerns. And it probably is going to look like a solution that neither one of us imagined initially, right? Because when we go in, I call them with battling solutions, like, well, I think you know, X should happen very often. The other partner's spouse is going to say, well, I think X is going to happen. And again, we're in dueling solutions. But if it's like, oh, I hear your concern is X. Oh, and my concern is Y. Let's look for the solution that would meet those priority concerns. And it's always possible every time without exception. This is, again, what I help my clients do is kind of look outside of their preordained solutions for the solution that actually meets their priority concerns. I love that. And the preordained solution is usually the equivalent of the stick being the snake because it's yes. coming from this past. Yes. Like right. assumption, like the quick assumption of our nervous the system. The assumption, right? Yeah. Based on their past experiences, but not necessarily focused on needs and concerns. Yes. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I love that. So good. All right. Tell everybody how they can find you and where they can get this book. Yes. Well, it is now on Amazon, so they can just search Repair Your Relationships on Amazon or Stacey Kerno on Amazon. I think that would be the easiest, quickest way. But I think also on your resources page, I gave a couple of other links to access my work. There's a free PDF that I offer called the fire drill that would really help. It's, you know, you can print it up and then really think about, as we talked about in the earliest part of this podcast, about what you need to do for yourself in those moments you feel triggered to bring calm and then helping the people in your family also identify their things. Because first, we're going to prioritize calm so that everyone can feel resourced and come back to the table looking at concerns and needs and helping everyone get their priority concerns met. Oh my gosh, so good. Thank you so much for all the work you do and for being here today. This was super helpful. So I hope that everyone got just what you needed to hear from this. Is there anything I've missed? Like, I mean, I feel like this was a lot. (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't think you missed anything. Thank you so much for having me and really drawing out these really great, I would call threads of this tapestry that is relationships. And so it was such a pleasure to share this with you, Mia. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you for being here. At the end of every episode, we always share three doable changes so you can take what you've heard and put it into action, because action is where change happens. Even though we want big change, it's really the little things done over and over that make the difference. So I always encourage you just to pick one doable thing, put it in your calendar, make space for it, weave it through your days for a week and then move on to the next thing. I promise you that the little things really do add up. There is truth behind the snowball effect. Even though often when we're wanting change, we want it all to change at once, the little things, having faith in the little things is really important. So at the end of every episode, I always share three doable changes. Not so that you take all three of them, but so that you choose the one, the one that really resonates with you, and you roll with that one first, and you see what happens, all right? So here are three from my conversation with Stacy. Number one, prioritize calm. 
Really understand what you need to do when your nervous system gets dysregulated, i.e. when you're not feeling so calm. So Stacy offers some examples of going for a walk, calling a friend, taking a bath, taking three deep breaths. There are, of course, so many options, but the important thing is to really start to know what works for you. If you don't know, you can try one of these, and the next time you feel yourself really like losing your cool with your spouse or a kid, if one of these doesn't work, then just try another one. And really prioritize calm places where that you'll see regularly to remind you to use your calming strategies, okay? So this is prioritizing calm. Because remember, we show up differently in relationship when we're calm. All right, number two, try the RAIN practice. Try Tara Brock's RAIN practice. And here's how Stacy explained it. The R is for recognize what's happening. The A is allow the experience to be there just as it is. The I is to investigate with interest and care. And the N is for nurture with self-compassion. So good. You could like write this on a (laughs) post-it, go copy and paste it from the show notes and have it with you throughout a week and see how that can really help you. All right. Number three, understand priority concerns. You may 100% disagree with your partner in a certain situation. That would be us being human. But see if you can understand each other's priority concerns. For example, is your priority safety, fairness, learning, health were some of the examples that Stacy shared? That understanding gives you a different place to address the issue. And when we can start to really understand each other in a different way, we can have different conversations. So I love this one. I love all three of these. I hope that you choose the one that really resonates with you. I would love to hear what it is. Come share over on Instagram at plansimple.co and be in conversation with us. I'm super excited to hear how this episode resonates with you. Thank you so much for joining me today. If you know a woman who wants a little more simple and a lot more flow, share this episode and send them over to the Plan Simple website to download our free course. And if you can find a five minute window today between meetings in the carpool line while you're eating your lunch, head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. This one action plays such a big part in helping other women find us. And I have so much gratitude for you in advance. So thank you so much. Until next week, dream big, plan from your heart and have a great day.